You're listening to the Magnum version of the Savage Lovecast at savage.love. If you're stuck in a relationship quandary, or if you're looking for sexual harmony, All right. Russian troops are massing at the Ukrainian border. Trump's GOP is pre-rigging the 2024 presidential election and the Democratic Party doesn't seem all that interested in doing anything to stop that. They're probably having another Christmas party at Downing Street right now. And Nancy Reagan is trending on Twitter for reasons Nancy Reagan probably never wanted to trend on Twitter. She liked to suck dick and she was good at it. Also, there are No more episodes of Succession for at least a year. So things are dire all over. There's a lot to talk about. But I want to talk about something that's not in the news, that's not so dire, something that's actually kind of trivial, but that could still get me in trouble, I guess. Because I rise today in defense of gold star gay. The expression, not the gays. For those of you who may not know, A gold star gay is a gay man who's never slept with a woman. I was hanging out with some friends this weekend, some vaccinated people over the weekend, over to the house, and that expression came up in conversation. And someone called it problematic, and I suppose it is. But how high a bar is problematic, really? If someone has a problem with something, then it's problematic. And since there's not really anything out there that someone somewhere doesn't have a problem with, that makes basically everything problematic to some degree. But in fairness, a lot of people have a problem with gold star gay, the expression. The website QZ calls gold star gay divisive. Everyday feminism has a list of six reasons why no one should use gold star gay, a list that includes that it's somehow transphobic. New Now Next asks if we're really still calling ourselves Gold Star Gays and Affinity Magazine says we should dump Gold Star Gay as a label and don't even get them started on Platinum Star Gays. Now, people don't have a problem with gay men who haven't slept with women. Well, people who aren't right-wing extremists, religious fundamentalists, we're not expected to sleep with women. We are gay men. But people take issue with the way the expression seems to suggest that a gay man who's never slept with a woman has accomplished something, that it's something a gay man can or should be proud of, something a gay man might deserve a gold star for. I see it differently. I see it through the lens of, well, not to date myself, but I see it through the lens of what it meant 40 years ago when I first heard someone use the expression. Because back then, To be a gay man who had never slept with a woman, that meant something different. That landed differently. Just so we're clear, just so we're here, we're clear, get used to it. I am not advocating for the use of Gold Star Gay today. It doesn't upset me when I hear it, and it's not something I think we should waste too much time or energy trying to eradicate. I think we should let it go. We should let it continue to fade away. You don't hear it as much today as you used to. But there's also something that we should remember. What it meant to use that expression decades ago, in the 1970s and 1980s and even into the 1990s. Because when we used it then, we didn't mean, oh, vaginas are gross and my dick is better because it never touched a vagina, no girl germs on me. What it meant then 
Well, it, it was just rare back then. It was remarkable back then to meet someone, to meet a gay guy who'd never slept with a woman. Almost all of us had slept with women back then before we came out. Not because we wanted to, not because we were good at it, not because we were sexually adventurous and no labels and up for anything. We slept with women because we had to. Compulsory heterosexuality. Look it up. It was a thing back in the day, back in my day, back when it wasn't possible to come out at age 12. It's not possible today for everyone everywhere, but it wasn't possible then for anyone anywhere. Back then, a boy couldn't get through high school, middle school, or college in one piece without pretending he was straight. And that meant getting a girlfriend. And often that meant having sex with that girlfriend with your eyes closed so you could pretend she was... Andy Gibb or Sean Cassidy or Leif Garrett. That was something we felt forced to do, something we were coerced to do, something we did under duress. And it wasn't fair. It wasn't fair to us, but it was just as unfair to the girls and women we lied to about who we were and how we felt about them. Closeted gay boys had sex with girls and with women because no closet was really complete. No closet felt completely safe without a girlfriend or a wife. And we knew it was shitty. We knew it was unfair to the girls and the women that we lied to. To meet a gay guy in the 1980s who'd never slept with a woman, you were meeting someone who didn't do any of that, who didn't lie to anyone, who didn't build a closet for himself out of the broken hearts of teenage girls. To meet a gay guy in the 1980s who had never slept with a girl or a woman, it was to meet someone who was stronger than you were. Someone who resisted compulsory heterosexuality. Someone who was decent enough not to lie to and use girls the way you did, the way most of us did, the way I did. And those guys were rare guys who hadn't had sex with girls back then. We didn't jokingly award them gold stars because they never got girl germs on their dicks. Most gay men do not have a problem sleeping with guys who've slept with women. Some gay guys are really turned on by guys who've slept with women. Think of all the gay men out there who are into straight guys, into servicing, aka blowing, actual straight guys who sleep with women, or into sleeping with straight identified but closeted guys. For those guys... For a lot of gay men, girl germs on a dick is a plus. Like glaze on a donut only makes it better. So, the gold star gays, it wasn't about never touching a girl. It was that they were stronger. They didn't cave under the pressure to be straight, to fake it, like most of us did, at least back then. They held out, and they held up. They didn't use anybody. And that was something they had a right to be proud of. Something... We kind of, sort of, actually deserved a gold star for. Okay, before we start the show, the holidays are hurtling toward us. Magnum Savage Lovecast subscriptions make a great gift. Go to savage.love, click on Lovecast, click on subscribe, click on gift. Couldn't be easier. You can also order a copy of my new book, Savage Love from A to Z at savage.love or wherever books are sold. All right, coming up on today's show on the micro, tons of your cues, lots of my A's, and joining me on the Magnum, Erica Moen from Ojoy oh Sex Toy returns to recommend some sexy, sexy sex toys that make great gifts because it's not just stockings that need stuffing. 
Hey Dan, I'm a 37 year old female. Um, about six months ago, I hooked up with a guy who was about 25 at the time and the sex wasn't that great and he messaged me later to catch up again and I said I was seeing other people and I didn't have time for him, which was mostly the truth. I just wasn't interested in seeing him again, but I hoped he would get the point. But a couple of months ago, as restrictions lifted, he messaged me again and asked to catch up and... I decided to be honest and I said that um, I wasn't interested in catching up because the sex wasn't that great. He didn't reciprocate oral. I don't come from penetrative sex and he didn't ask or attempt to find that out and didn't really do anything for me. But I was telling him that because I wanted him to be aware of it and maybe he could use that for his next partner. I hope I didn't come across preachy, but my intention was to be, uh, to campsite rule him a, a little bit, I guess. He thanked me for my honesty and I didn't think I'd hear from him again, but last night he messaged me and said he was a bit drunk and he just wanted me to know that the first time we hooked up, he was actually a virgin and that's why the sex wasn't very good. And he hoped I wasn't mad at him, but he thought I should know. I wish I'd known beforehand or not at all, I guess. If I'd known beforehand, I would have done things differently and I guess that's maybe why he didn't tell me. He didn't want me to know because maybe I wouldn't have hooked up with him but I feel like I probably came across like a bit of an asshole because I didn't know that he didn't know these things and I guess now he does but I don't know. I just don't really know what to do with this information and like, do I owe him anything? Like, And like, why did he feel the need to tell me? I don't think he called and told you that he was a virgin to make you feel bad. I think he called and told you that he was a virgin to throw himself on the mercy of the court to give you more information. You had judged him, and I think rightly so. You had judged him as an inconsiderate, selfish lover, a shitty lover, an unlovely lover, because he didn't seem invested in your pleasure at all. He didn't reciprocate during oral sex, which I, I'm sorry, even if you're a virgin at 25, you know that women have orgasms too. You know that women who like sex like to be pleasured orally, digitally, that hopefully even at 25, you would be aware that not all women climax during penetrative sex. Even if you've only consumed a steady diet of pornography, that's a fact that kind of goes around. It's not, I think, completely common knowledge, but it's not as freakishly uncommon knowledge as it used to be. And so he didn't arrive at sex with you, at partnered sex for the first time at 25, wholly unaware that women come and that men sometimes have to step up and do things to get women there, to get them to come. He was in bed with you, you made him come, and he didn't open his mouth and say anything. And maybe he was, you know, paralyzed by anxiety and, you know, was obviously he didn't want you to know he was a virgin. And then in the end, he fucked you so incompetently. He was such a lousy lay that you had to assume he was an asshole. And it would have been better if he'd told you that he was a virgin. Because then if you decided you wanted to sleep with him, you would have been more proactive in the moment about instructing him on what to do you would have communicated to him in the moment, most likely, about your completely reasonable expectations where reciprocity was concerned. And then he could have made a good faith attempt. Then he could have stepped up. 
But like a lot of people who hide the fact that they're virgins from their first partners, he went into that sex hoping you wouldn't be able to figure it out. And he was probably nervous about going down on you or touching you in a way that didn't work for you because if he was bad at it, then you might realize, you might figure out that he was a virgin, which he was trying to avoid telling you. You know, he didn't want to use his words to tell you that. And like a lot of people who are virgins who don't tell their partners that going into that first sexual encounter, he was afraid that he might non-verbally communicate that if he was bad at the things that he attempted. And so he didn't attempt those things, which then made him bad at the big thing, which was sex, which is why he didn't want to fuck him again. And you told him, and I think you were right to tell him. Maybe he was right to tell you that he was a virgin so that now you know that he was just bumbling and inept, not necessarily selfish and an asshole. And that's why he called you. He was stewing on it. You called, you, you know, you sent that message or text or you called him and you gave him all of that feedback. Your campsite ruled him. And hopefully when he finds himself in bed with another woman, he will know to ask, to reciprocate, to communicate that he's relatively inexperienced. But he was also sitting there thinking, there's this person out there in the world who thinks I'm an asshole. And what I was, was inexperienced, uninformed, inept, inconsiderate. And I withheld something. I didn't tell this person going in something that obviously I should have for my own sake, but that she may have had a right to know and may have had a better sexual experience with me if she had known, if she had chosen to have that sexual experience with me, if I had told her. That's what was going through his head most likely. And that's why he reached out and shared that with you. Not to make you feel like an asshole, but to make him feel like a little bit less of an asshole in your eyes. Oh, and P.S., just throwing this out there, he's a decent looking guy and you liked his dick. And if he had known what to do, you might have had a better experience with him and you want to give it another go. That would be another good way to campsite rule this dude. Hey, Dan. 29-year-old bi male from the East Coast of Canada. And uh, I'm with this amazing girl. We've been together for four months. Um, everything's going relatively well. The sex is far none. Second to none, it's, uh, yeah, top-notch. Talk about how much we love each other, how this feels different, and yada, yada, yada. And uh, I can't help but feel insecure still, and I hate that I feel that way. I don't normally feel super insecure in relationships. I'm usually the aloof one and the one that doesn't really give a fuck. For some reason, in this one, it's different. Yeah, like if we're chilling next to each other and uh, she opens up her phone or her Instagram and I see that she's got, you know, plus DMs. I just want to be like, hey, like, who are those DMs from? Or, you know, where I generally texting someone, like, I just, I have this urge to ask, like, who it is. And, like, I hate that I have that urge, but it's there. And, yeah, it's not a good look. It's, uh, I really don't like it. I, um, she's just, yeah, we've all this stuff to talk about, about how love we are and, like, all this stuff. Great. And I love hearing that, but for some reason, I still feel insecure. She's, like, messy, beautiful. Maybe even a little out of my league. Maybe that has something to do with it. Any hints on, uh, you know, ways to kind of quell those insecurities? There's a line that's sometimes hard to see between trying to control someone with your jealousy and sharing with someone that you occasionally do feel jealous. It's a natural human emotion. We all feel it. And asking for some consideration around whatever triggers your jealousy. 
Now, this is really easily weaponized by controlling awful, even abusive people, their jealousy. Like, oh, I'm having a terrible feeling. This is making me sad or making me feel insecure and threatened. Rage, 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 make you miserable. That's jealousy that no one should put up with. But a partner who says, uh, you know, I really love you and I'm really into you and I know it's irrational and like ugh, unattractive insecurity, but when you start going through your Instagram DMs in front of me, it just like, oh, uh, it makes me feel jealous and I don't feel great about that and insecure. So just don't go through your Instagram DMs in front of me. And that demonstration, even though, you know, she's still getting DMs on Instagram, even though, you know, she's in the bathroom looking at her Instagram, she may be looking at her DMs, not in front of you, but that demonstration of consideration that she doesn't do that in front of you because she knows it makes you feel insecure and jealous and she doesn't want you to feel that way and you have no reason to feel that way, that itself, you know, it's not going to make you feel not jealous occasionally ever. It'll make you feel seen and cared for and considered and make you feel safer and more secure in the relationship as a result. That said, man, jealousy. Jealousy destroys that which people sometimes think, you know, jealousy is there to protect. You know, I'm being jealous of you and I'm gripping you harder and harder. And a jealous controlling partner is unbearable. You wind up in a position if you have a jealous controlling partner where you're constantly reassuring them that you're not thinking about leaving them, that you're not cheating on them, that, you know, you can't help it if people sometimes flirt with you and find you attractive. You're not in control of that. Eventually you reach a breaking point where it's just not worth it anymore to be with a jealous person. And so the jealousy destroyed the relationship. The person who was jealous, was worried, would be destroyed by strangers on Instagram. And it's not strangers on Instagram sending DMs that destroyed the relationship. It's the grief that you were getting from your partner about strangers on DMs sending you, sorry, about strangers on Instagram sending you DMs. And so you got to be careful. And it requires a degree of self-scrutiny that not everyone, particularly everyone who is young, I think this is often something it takes time and experience to work through. It requires a degree of self-scrutiny to know what kind of jealousy it is that you experience and, and express. Are you being jealous and controlling and abusive and threatening and insecure and awful? Or are you able to realize you're being jealous, contain your jealousy, talk yourself down off the ledge as that ledge as much as possible? And then maybe not as a last resort, but at a time when you're feeling calm and you can express it without being angry to say to your partner, you know, this when this happens, I feel jealous. You don't like me when I'm being jealous or I'm feeling jealous. I don't like me when I'm being jealous. So maybe we could figure out a way to minimize this, like checking your Instagram DMs in front of me or step around it. What you don't get to do though is tell your girlfriend she can't be on Instagram. What you don't get to do though is tell your girlfriend that she's in trouble if someone DMs her or someone notices her or thinks she's hot. She is not in trouble. You're asking for some consideration. You're asking for your irrational insecurities to be something that you don't have to think about alone. That's something that she will think about too, but you're not, not, not trying to control her. Hey, Dan, Nancy, and the tech savvy at Risk Youth. 25-year-old cis straight male from the upper Midwest. My question has to do with my model girlfriend of a year and four months. 
course, I knew going into the relationship of her modeling, which I would say can be described as sexual in nature, due to it being revealing to the level that it is, that level being up to and including implied nudity. She calls it her hobby, while it also was one of her main sources of income via Patreon subscribers during her schooling. Does this qualify as sex work? In my mind, it does, and I'm okay with it, I swear. In the past, she has done other forms of sex work, selling feet pics and going on dates with fans for money. Again, doesn't bother me. You've even conversed half-jokingly about her doing OnlyFans, to which my response was, as long as I'm your dedicated co-star. The dating others might bother me if it were still a thing while we are together. What does bother me is the unfairness and hypocrisy and the vast difference in what we are allowed to do and have agreed to within the confines of our monogamous relationship. Can we even call it that? It feels like I am held to this strict one-sided monogamy, and she's free to do more monogamous-seeming things. I'm open to trying relationship dynamics other than monogamy, or whatever this is, but she's made it clear in what little discussion we have on the topic that she would not be. She doesn't want me following other models or girls because they are her competition, and it hurts her that I do so. Yet she can follow whomever she wants in the name of share for shares to build her following. I get the reasonings may be different, but the action is the same, and after all, I only have her word and don't really know what's going on between her ears. I keep thinking about if the roles were reversed, could she accept the things I have and do, or am willing to, and the answer is pretty much always no. What do you think, Dan? I'm trying to see this from your girlfriend's point of view, that she has a reason to be online and to be sexual online and to follow people who are attractive or who may be attracted to her on Instagram and other places because it's how she pays the bills, doing this kind of low-grade sex work or actual sex work if she's going out on dates with guys that she's met on Instagram who are paying her for her time, even if nothing physical happens, that's a kind of sugar baby light version of sex work. And so she may think that because this is what I do to pay my bills, this is what I do to put food on the table for myself and take care of myself, I'm doing what I have to do. Whereas you presumably have some other income stream that doesn't rely on pictures of your ass. Are you going on dates with women who stumbled over your account on Instagram or OnlyFans? And therefore, it's not the same, you being on Instagram or being sexual on Instagram or following people that you think are hot or who think you're hot on Instagram because you're not monetizing that. But monetary rewards are only one reason people are open about their sexuality or on Instagram. People are also open about their sexuality for the affirmation. People follow people they think are hot on Instagram because it's nice to look at people that you think are hot? Isn't that what all the guys who are following your girlfriend are doing? Uh, yeah, so while I can see it from her perspective, maybe, it doesn't make her position here any less hypocritical or the standards that you're being held to any less double. Yeah, these are double standards. How much do you like your girlfriend? You sound pretty ground down. You sound pretty defeated. If she is the jealous and controlling type and she blows up at you in anger or she cries and cries and cries and sort of weaponizes feeling super sad if she notices that you're following someone on Instagram who's in her league as hot as she is or is a competitor, ugh, how much more of that are you willing to put up with? How much longer are you willing to put up with her hypocrisy, her jealousy, her controlling behavior, and these double standards. A month? Two months? Okay, tell her. She has a month or two months 
to get over it. That you're only gonna not follow who you want to follow for two more months out of consideration. But this is it. This is the end. And then do what you want to do. Be who you want to be online. You're entitled to a zone of erotic autonomy. And I think Instagram is one of those places where you can carve that zone of erotic autonomy out. And if she's not okay with it, well then break the fuck up with her. Because you got to ask yourself if you're not willing to break up with somebody who's jealous and controlling and hypocritical and very into enforcing or imposing double standards on you. Okay. If you're not willing to break up with them for those reasons, what reasons are you willing to break up with someone and how long, if you're not going to break up with them for those reasons, which to me seem perfectly reasonable reasons to break up with somebody, how long are you willing to put up with that? Again, you sound pretty ground down. If you don't break up with her over this or threaten to another year, another 15 years, 20 years, 30 years, 40 years, 50 years. If it's an open-ended relationship, that's what you're looking at. That sound like fun for you to be with somebody who treats you this way, who makes you feel and sound the way you feel and sound right now? No, no. You're obviously not going to be with this person. You don't want to be with this person. You're not going to want to put up with this for 50 years. I don't think you should put up with it, frankly, for five more minutes. But if you want to give her another couple of months to get over it, get past it, maybe get into therapy, work on her issues, and then see where you're at, I would support that decision. I would also support, I would more enthusiastically support ending this relationship now. Dear Dad, I am a 30-year-old Mexican cis woman calling from Mexico City. Uh, I've been going out with this guy for the past three months. He's very smart, very sweet, and very funny. We have great sex together. But a couple of weeks ago, I was trying to find one of our mutual friends on Instagram. So I went through the people he's following on Instagram to try to find this one friend. And very quickly, I noticed that at least two or three out of every 10 accounts that he follows pretty much look the same. And it's just a really plastic, busty, tiny waisted, fake ass, fake lips, sex workers slash models slash only fans. And I've been really confused ever since, you know, I probably went a little too far and scrolled a little too far, but this trend started to appear more and more worrisome. Um, I didn't go all the way through, but I really couldn't find any brown or black women on the accounts that he was following. They all kind of looked the same, which is this very plastic and stereotypical idea of a female body. And I don't know if it's a deal breaker or if it's just, you know, a red flag. I consider myself a feminist. I really only watch feminist porn that that pays their uh, performers really well and that also features a fair amount of body diversity and gender diversity. So it just seems a little basic and really a little bit against my principles. I don't know how to bring it up. You know, I don't want to like sex shame anyone and I don't know if I'm judging his sexual preferences but now every time that he grabs my breasts or that he tries to play with my breasts I just can't stop thinking about all these accounts that just seem I don't know so unattractive to me and I don't know if that says something about his sexual life or 
about the type of woman that he likes, about the type of woman that he expects me to be. And I don't know, Dan, um, any advice on how to go about this would be really, really helpful. Even if this wasn't a deal breaker, I could see how having scrolled through your boyfriend of just three months, Instagram follows all the, all the women he follows, how that might be a libido killer. Not just because it doesn't demonstrate the same kind of gender diversity, racial diversity that your own porn consumption demonstrates and credit to you for that, but because you don't see yourself reflected in there. It's not just diversity you're after or you're interested in or you notice the lack of, but he's not following any women who look like you. And if I were in your shoes, if I were in your place, I would wonder what was going through his head if he was my boyfriend when he was touching me. So you know what you know, and you can't unknow it. And it sounds like you found it out, not snooping. His Instagram followers are public. His Instagram account is public. You were looking for a mutual friend and you wound up kind of doom scrolling through the women he follows and feeling bad about yourself, maybe on some level. I, no, I, I take that back. Not bad about yourself, but just wondering what the fuck is up with him. And then bad about the sex you're having with him. Bad when he, you feel bad when he touches you, which is, you know, if he's a sweet, smart, funny guy, certainly not the feeling he wants to elicit in you when he touches you is bad, conflicted feelings. But you're having bad, conflicted feelings and you're going to have to process them. And the only person you can process them with is him and me a little bit. But I have to encourage you to process them with him, which means you're going to have to say to him, look, I scrolled through, I, I see these kind of pornified, cliche, wasp-waisted, big titty, fake titty, pumped up lips, teased out hair women in your Instagram follows and nobody who looks like me, nobody who looks like most women look, just, you know, average attractive hot women like me, brown women like me. What's up with that? Then you're gonna have to hear what he says it may be that, you know, when he's jacking off, there's a certain kind of cliche, hyper, mainstream performance of femininity that just gets him there. And that's why he follows. Or maybe he just, you know, has a twitchy follow thumb and he's followed a few women he's uh, attracted to who are all of one particular type. And then you're going to have to turn on the bullshit detectors and decide whether or not you believe him. You know, it may be that this is a type of woman that he finds attractive. It's not a type of woman he encounters much in his daily life. And so he gets that need met, that visual stimuli on Instagram. And they're not the kind of women that he wants to be with in real life. And in real life, he is with the kind of woman that he wants to be with. And he could say that, and that could be a lie. He could also say that, and that could absolutely be the truth. Uh, one last thing I want to say, you say it's kind of against your principles to consume, I guess, porn of just one featuring just one kind of mainstream cliche, conventional body type or, or form of gender expression. It's against my principles to police someone else's porn consumption. People often look at a particular kind of porn because it works for their reptile brain on a particular kind of level. And it's not what they want in real life or all they want in real life, but it can be their go-to. 
that may be true for him. And you may have to allow for that. And if what you see when you guys are having sex or what you see when you talk about his dating history and you meet other people that he's dated or had sex with, that he's not in real life as limited as his porn consumption habits or Instagram following habits may indicate that he is, you may have to take that yes for an answer. And then you may have to step back and just not, you know, police the kind of porn he likes or the kind of women he follows on Instagram. And if you believe him, if after you turn on those bullshit detectors, whatever it is he says to you after you process this with him, you believe that he's telling you the truth, then you may have to just let him have the people he follows on Instagram, not think about it, not scroll through his followers and take that yes for an answer and accept that his behavior and the way he moves through the world sexually and how he functions sexually may be different than the impression you may have gotten from the women he follows on Instagram might indicate. Hey Dan, Nancy and the tech savvy at risk youth. My guy currently deployed overseas right now. My wife and I have 22 years have struggled for a long time and particularly over the last seven or eight years, five or six years into our marriage. Actually, she pointed out my sexuality to me. I was in really deep denial and struggling with that ever since. There have been a lot of ways that have acted out uh, in unhealthy ways because of repressing that and being in denial for so long. I know that for me to be happy, I need to end this relationship because although she seems willing to explore different avenues of allowing me to ex express that sexuality fully, I instinctively know that she's never going to be to a, a place where she's enthusiastic about that. Um, it's just too far against the grain. We both come from a very conservative religious background. We both grew up Mormon. And I've been someone else for almost my entire life trying to fit into a mold of what I thought would make other people happy. And I don't want her to do the same thing for me because I don't want her to end up uh, full of resentment or anger towards me um, because she's feeling like she's been pressured into doing things that she doesn't want to do. So my question is this. I've had a really hard time feeling like I'm being a selfish asshole for leaving. We have three kids together. They're going to be crushed, even though they realize that things have been bad for a long time um, and it's been very stressful on the entire family. Uh, I think finally ending it is going to be excruciatingly painful for everyone involved. And I'm having trouble reconciling the idea of putting my own happiness center stage. You know, I've put my my happiness into the background for so long, uh, as I said, trying to be someone else for everyone else, that I don't really know how to even accept the idea of chasing after my own happiness if it means hurting anyone else, uh, particularly those that I love. At the same time, I understand that my happiness is just as important as anyone else's, and I just can't seem to reconcile myself to the fact that I'll be hurting other people pursuing that happiness. Um, in the meantime, I know I'm not good to anybody the way that I am. I've been unhappy, I've been grumpy, stressed out, constantly you know, full of anxiety and anger because of the situation that I've been in for so long. So first of all, am I doing the right thing? And second of all, 
how can I be okay with it when I know it's going to hurt other people? So this marriage is making all involved miserable. You're unhappy, resentful, angry. Your wife is miserable and unhappy in part because of your anger and resentment. Your kids are unhappy. They sense your unhappiness. They know that your marriage isn't working and it doesn't sound like the marriage that you fear ending is making anybody happy. Not you, not your wife, not your kids. Everyone's miserable. The other option, divorce, staying, one option, staying, everyone remaining in this limbo misery state perpetually makes everyone miserable. Leaving, yeah, divorce is going to make everyone miserable, but everyone's already miserable. And on the other side of divorce, once you're through it, maybe you'll be happier. Maybe your wife will be happier. Maybe your kids no longer having to live day to day with the conflict that exists between you and your wife will be happier. But what they're going to have to go through to get to this potential future, you know, not happiness, you know, life is struggle and life involves conflict and periods of unhappiness. Life is not, as Dorothy Parker once said, a glorious cycle of song, a medley of extemporanea, and love is a thing that can never go wrong. And I am Maria Romania. I think about that Dorothy Parker poem all the time, and your predicament brings it to mind. There is the certain unhappiness of, of life as it's lived now. There is a potential for a life that's not perfectly happy, but is happier, and not just for you, but again, for your wife, for your kids. If, though, you hesitate, if you really want divorce to be the last option on the table, your last move, maybe you should take your wife's yes for an answer and act on your sexuality and see, you know, the thing you fear might be terrible for your wife and for you, you know, there being some space made in your marriage for you to have sex with other men, just to put the label on it, just to, to, to be clear about what we're talking about. And that might make her miserable. She's already miserable. And then there's the thing that you're certain is going to make her miserable, which is going through a divorce. So, you know, option A, you stay in the marriage, uh, you become less unhappy because staying in the marriage doesn't mean you can't be who you are sexually. And then you get to the other side of that and see if the reality of you opening the marriage, of you having sex with other men, having other sex partners, see. See if that makes your wife as miserable as you think it might. See if that makes your wife less miserable because you're less angry and resentful all the time about having to squelch this part of yourself and then reassess. And if in a year, having taken your wife's yes for an answer and avoided divorce, your wife is happier, you're happier, your kids are happier, okay, well, then that's the new status quo and you can stay. But if in a year, everyone's just more miserable than they were before, including your wife, and she's retaliating against you, she said, yes, you can go ahead and do this, you know, if that's what it is going to take for you to stay in this marriage, and then you go ahead and do it, and every time you do it, she punishes you right? If it becomes another engine of conflict in your marriage, well, then you can end it. Then you can divorce. But if you've made up your mind, and it does sound like you've made up your mind that you need to end this marriage, do it. Do it. End the marriage. 
And what are you ending? You're ending a thing that, to use that expression again, is an engine of misery for all involved. And it's going to be terrible and it's going to be awful, but you'll get to the other side of it. And then maybe your kids will be happier, not having to live with mom and dad constantly in conflict. And you'll be able to have a constructive, friendly, amicable post-marriage connection, if not relationship, with your wife as you continue to co-parent your kids together. It's funny somehow how divorce can be a reset that makes it possible for people to love, respect, and appreciate each other again because it changes all of our expectations. Your wife will no longer be expecting from you the things she expects from you now and is disappointed that she doesn't get. And maybe she'll be less hurt. And you'll be free to be who you are while still being in relationship, if not in married, a marital relationship with your wife and still continuing to co-parent with your ex-wife, your three kids. And that reset around expectations and obligations can sometimes take a relationship that was high conflict as everyone's expectations were being disappointed and everyone was feeling the burden of obligations that in your case made you feel like you couldn't be who you are. And once you let go of all of that, in a sense, because you've redefined the relationship, no longer marital, you've divorced, it can free you. It can free you to love and appreciate and enjoy each other again differently. But yeah, it is going to suck. It is going to be awful getting there. But you know what? Sounds like it sucks and it's awful right now. So what's a little more awful mixed into the pot on your way to something that it could potentially be much, much better? All right, we're going to take a quick break from your calls to speak with frequent Savage Lovecast guest and friend of the show and friend of mine, Erica Moen, is the comic artist and co-author of Oh Joy Sex Toy. Check out her latest book, Let's Talk About It, created by her and her husband, Matthew Nolan. It is a really smart sex ed book for teens that you should buy immediately for all the teens on your Christmas or Hanukkah or just for the fuck of it lists. Hey, Erica, welcome back to the show. Hi. Uh, we like to have you on uh, to recommend sex toy gifts that people could possibly buy, and it is the gift-giving season. But before we talk about the sex toys that people could actually give as gifts this year, let's talk about who a sex toy is an appropriate gift for. Uh, somebody who would like to have fun with their body and <laughs> would like to feel different sensations than they can with just their hand or their partner by themselves? I was actually thinking just, you know, sometimes it feels like you got to get out in front of what someone who's really not thinking might take away. Like a sex toy, it's a great gift, not for a coworker. A sex toy, it's a great gift, oh. not for your downstairs neighbor that you've only ever interacted with <laughs> by the washing machines. Sex toy, great gift for someone okay. you're sleeping with, for an ex that you have the kind of relationship yes. where you still talk about sex. Uh, for your partner or partners, great. For yourself, great gift. Uh, not for Secret Santa at the office. Oh, no, no. But also, like, if you have friends that you talk very graphically and explicitly about sex with them, like, that's an okay gift to give. Like, somebody that you have some kind of a type of sexual intimacy, whether it's just it's a conversational topic that you guys bring up regularly or you actually have a physically sexual relationship together. But yeah, maybe not coworker, maybe not neighbor. Yeah. yeah. I, I think I would say someone you have a sexual relationship with or a sexual rapport with. 
rapport. There you go. That's a good word. So Erica, it is December. What sex toys would you recommend if people were thinking about gifting someone a sex toy this year? Uh, okay. Well, so as far as vibrators go, like the big standard classic cannot go wrong would be one of the giant wands. Uh, so like the Doxy Original or the Magic Wand Classic or Plus or the WeVibe Wand, they um, they are uh, the your Doxy and WeVibe are over a hundred dollars. Like that is pretty steep. Uh, but the Magic Wand Classic and Plus are sixty five and seventy five bucks. So like that's a bit more affordable. But anyway, if you're scared by the sticker price though. These things are workhorses. They are going to last years. Um, I, like it's it, rather than looking at one big lump sum, think of how many years of use am I going to get out of this? Divided and, and by like, the number of <laughs> orgasms you expect to have over the decades, Terry and I have had a Hitachi Magic Wand yeah. for almost twenty-five years, and it's still going strong. My original one, which was still working fine when I got these upgrades, like it still works as far as I know. And I think it's like 15 years old. Like these things, they're incredible. It's an incredible gift. So Hitachi <laughs> Magic Wands much they cost. and the other high-end wands, totally worth the hundred bucks if you can swing it. And another one, another recommendation? Oh, the WeVibe wand and the Doxy wand, those are the ones that cost a hundred bucks. And if you go for the Magic Wand, it's 65 or 75. So it's like, oh, what a deal. It's cheaper. <laughs> Okay, great. So those are the wands. What else would you recommend this year? Fleshlight. Uh, get a nice quality fuck sleeve. And Fleshlight, like, it, it's, a, it's a big sleeve that you put on your dick and you masturbate into it. And sometimes they look like flashlights, which is where the Fleshlight joke kind of came from. Yeah. And, but the thing is, they also have uh, smaller ones also. So if you're intimidated by those ginormo-sized ones that are like the first ones you see, like don't be scared. Just dig into the website a little bit more, and they have smaller, more discreet ones. And then also super good masturbation sleeves for penises are uh, the products from Tanga, like the Tanga Spinner and the Tanga 3D Spiral. They're super pretty. They look like art objects, and they're very small and discreet. And and it's not just something like, oh, give it to your partner who has a penis, and they can jack themselves off. It's like, no, you, the two of you together, can can use this on your partner's penis, and it's um, it's fun and it's pretty, and yeah. So I I recommend that. And it's something you can jack off into and then leave on your coffee table as an object art. Oh, I am gonna boo do a hard no on that one. But you do you. <laughs> not gonna yuck your yum. <laughs> you do you. <laughs> um, and then for butt stuff, like I think a classy gift that you can give is an Enjoy Pure Plug, and they are these stainless steel butt plugs that, uh, like, so beautifully sculpted. They're they're they've got this nice heavy weight to them. They range from sixty dollars to eighty five dollars, and they're just they're just gorgeous. I mean, in my mind, you know how like there's been this resurgence of, of giving somebody a really fancy watch and it's just like this big chunk of jewelry. Um, like to me, it's, it's that kind of gift where it's this huge chunk of a beautiful metal object. So yeah, I don't know. I think it's classy as fuck. Enjoy <laughs> sex toys are stainless steel reflective. They're beautiful. You know, the, I, whenever I see one in the wild, I'm always reminded of the bean, which is that giant reflective piece of public art like in chicago it looks like that but it goes in your butt yes so they're they're significantly smaller Uh, than the bean in chicago and just as gorgeous (laughs) okay uh, we do have a call actually that i'd like to play if you can hang on and and take a question 
Yes, absolutely. Hey, Dan. Just calling to see if you have any good ideas for a Christmas gift for my significant other. We've been together just over a year now, and we're pretty kinky. We have a lot of vanilla sex, but when we're able to set aside the time, we have some really good kinky sex. I'm cis cis female. He's cis male. He loves being pegged, and we're both inherently subs, but we take turns kind of switching. And he said, I just asked him today what he wants for Christmas, and he said that he would just love another day of us doing something very, like, kind of sexy and kinky. And I thought that would be a really good idea to do something like that around Christmas, but also bring out, like, a new toy. And I can't think of what to get him because we already have a lot of toys. We've got the strap-on. We've got different sized dildos. We have... Just a bunch of other toys, and I, I don't know. Is there anything new that I haven't thought of yet that um, someone like him might like? I just thought maybe you'd have some recommendations for this holiday season. Well, I am going to recommend Fleshlight's Quick Shot Vantage. It's uh, like a little mini masturbation sleeve, except it's, it's kind of like a donut of a masturbation sleeve in that it doesn't have an, an end capping it so your dick just like goes through it and it has this kind of like little inner tube around it except it's way prettier and way hotter <laughs> than an inner tube um yeah it's uh it, it's made of this clear material um and it looks it's kind of like shaped like a jewel almost so it's this pretty decorative thing that you put around your dick and you use it to masturbate and uh, it gives a whole different sensation than just like a hand with lube on it. And, and again, like you can use it, the, the, it's a couple who are looking for gifts together and the, the lady partner can use it on her dude partner and jack them off with it. And it can be like a, an experience they share together. And uh, yeah, I just, oh, and also it's, it has this little plastic kind of a case that goes around the end of it or the, the rim of it. And if you have an extra thick dick, you can take off that harder plastic case to accommodate a thicker dick. And uh, yeah, it just, it, it allows you to create different sensation, different pressure. It's really fun. Oh, and it's also good for deep throating. <laughs> so like if your right. partner really wants to deep throat and you, like me, do not have a great gag reflex, uh, you can slide this on the dick and have it fill up the, the bottom chunk of dick. And so the dick feels like, oh, I've got this warm, wet, squishy thing on me, like a throat. And then you can just use your mouth and throat for the, the top section of the dick. And then like the whole dick is just covered in this warm, wet, fun, good, squishy time. The quick shot is 35 bucks. And uh, if you want to support an indie feminist sex shop, I recommend trying shebopthashop.com or smittenkittenonline.com or early number two bed.com. And those are all really awesome indie sex stores that have a great selection and are really good with giving advice and guidance as well. Erica, thank you so much for jumping on the phone. Oh, it was my pleasure. Always great to talk to you. And your sex toy recommendations are Always great. Erica Moan is the comic artist, co-author, co-creator of Oh Joy Sex Toy. Check out her latest book that she made with her husband, Matt Nolan. Let's talk about it. It's a great sex ed book for teens and would make, also, it would make a great gift 
for every young person on your list. Erica, thanks again. Tell Matt I said hi. How do? Hey, Dan. Hetero guy living on the East Coast. I have a girl right now that I've been seeing for a little bit, and she is absolutely fantabulous at giving head. I've never had better head in my life. And normally when I jerk off, I can come in like one minute. Sex, I last longer, but for some reason with head, it takes like forever. Like the last time she was able to make me come from head was like 15 minutes, and I can come in maybe like eight minutes from sex. And she comes pretty frequently, so it feels like I'm kind of holding it back. You mentioned the whole thing about the traumatic masturbatory stuff in one of the episodes, like if you train your dick the wrong way, you can't come from it anymore or something like that. Is there a way for me to come faster from head? Because as good as she is, I feel like I'm tiring her out. That's a long time to be sucking someone's dick. I don't think you suffer from what I call death grip syndrome. Other people call traumatic masturbatory syndrome. If you had grown up masturbating, if as an adolescent prior to partnered intercourse, you had masturbated with a rock hard grip or as some men did, putting their dick between the mattress and box springs or humping on the floor, a dirty, scratchy, crusty cum towel for years and years and years without ever washing it or replacing it. Your dick could arrive then at partnered sex and not be able to acclimate itself to the warmer, softer, wetter sensations provided by vaginas, assholes, and mouths. I don't think that's the case here. When you jack off, of course, you can hit all the right nerve endings just the way you like it. You come in a minute. When you have intercourse, you last for about eight minutes and you're holding back. So your problem is not that your dick requires one very intense kind of stimulation that you're kind of dependent on to get there. Your problem is that oral doesn't get you all the way there or the oral that you're getting from this girl doesn't get you all the way there. You don't need to retrain your dick as some people who suffer from death grip syndrome do, which requires not masturbating like that anymore and kind of starving your dick out. Uh, I've talked about that at length on other shows. I've written columns about it. People who are interested can go find those. All you need to do is figure out what boosts you during oral. What can you add? What other kitchen sinks can you throw in there that might, in addition to the great blowjob you're getting from your girlfriend, push you closer to the edge and help you get over the edge. A finger in the butt, the cupping of the balls, having your nipples played with during oral, dirty talk, which of course your girlfriend, uh, being a well-raised young woman, probably wouldn't do. Not going to talk with her mouthful, but dirty talk, you, things you can say out loud. Or she could, of course, pull the dick out of her mouth for a minute and say something filthy to you. Does dirty talk help to get you off? But the most obvious solution, since hand jobs work and it works when you stroke yourself, is to incorporate some stroking. You know, I think a really great blowjob is not a look ma, no hands. There's a 50-year-old pop culture reference for the kids. It's not a look ma, no hands thing. A good blowjob is really a mixture of a good blowjob and a great hand job. Her hands should be working the shaft of your dick. Your hand can also occasionally work the shaft of your dick while she sucks on your balls or licks your taint or whatever. And if a little stroking that she provides you or probably even better, you provide yourself in the flow of the blowjob, that is definitely going to get you closer. That is definitely going to cut down on the amount of time that she has to do the work giving you a blowjob. The old joke, that's why they call them they call them blowjobs because they're work. They don't call them blow vacations. So stroke yourself. Or if you don't want to incorporate hands, if 
you know, some people really attach a lot of importance to a blowjob involving no hand action at all, not being polluted or diluted or diminished by any hint of the hand job coming into play. Then maybe experiment with having your tits played with, having your ass played with, or having your brain played with, or playing with your brain with a little bit of dirty talk in the mix. Hi, Dan. I'm a straight cis woman in her mid-30s living in the major metropolitan city. I've been dating a bisexual cis man for the past couple of months, and he is the first queer person I've ever dated. He is probably the most caring, loyal, amazing partner I've had in a long time. I've never questioned his commitment to me. We are monogamous. When I've told my close friends about his sexuality, they have questions, but they're very, usually very just curious and respectful and positive. However, this past weekend, I had my first really negative, upsetting experience with a friend who we have issued, we've had issues brewing, but this just kind of came to a head. Um, my boyfriend, my um, gay friend, and myself went out to a bar, and my straight female friend was meeting up with us. And when she got there, I met her at the front of the club, and her first comment was that she couldn't believe that I left my bisexual boyfriend alone with my gay friend. At that point, I didn't say much because she got there and I, she just got there and I didn't want to get into it. I was kind of <laughs> honestly shocked, but the comments continued. At one point, she actually pulled my friend aside and asked if he believed if bisexuality was real. Um, and then towards the end of the night, we couldn't find my boyfriend and she continued to make these shitty comments, implying that he was probably messing around with some guy inside. Um, and I just lost it on her. I felt extremely protective of my relationship and my boyfriend, who is an amazing person and whose loyalty I've never questioned. So my boyfriend has dealt, obviously, with these ignorant comments and assumptions for most of his life, and it kind of just rolled off of him. But I am very new to this world. I've always been an ally. I've always been extremely supportive of my queer friends. But this is the first time I've been, you know, personally invested or involved and I'm having a hard time handling these kinds of comments. I realize that maybe something that a lot of people in the community, they've dealt with for a long time, but it's new to me. And I don't want to put all of my questions and frustrations on my boyfriend when he's had to deal with this for a long time. It's not his responsibility for, you know, me to figure this out. Um, and I could tell he wanted to move on from the conversation. So I'm just wondering if you have any advice on how to deal with, you know, these kind of, Different people and how to respond. I know I can't blow up at everybody, but you know, with somebody like that who I can had considered a friend, is it worth you know responding and trying to engage in a conversation? Do I just move on? I could really use your advice. So the first thing I want to say is just like Uncle Dan, Grandpa Dan, being like a nag. Two months. You've been <laughs> seeing the guy for two months, right? And you're throwing around words like partner and committed, and that always makes me a little uncomfortable. Yeah, it's been three months, yeah. And, and I think you can feel very powerfully for someone at three months. You can have a hunch that right. they're awesome and that you can feel like wanting to upgrade to partner, but you got to – like I always want to remind people to slow their roll. That said, Terry and I moved in with each other like two months after we met, so I am a hypocrite. Right. <laughs> um, totally get it. <laughs> how out is your boyfriend about being bi? He is out. I mean, he will not, you know, if people ask him, he is honest. He's not just like coming out to people, you know, as soon as he meets them. And he's dated men in the past, dated women, mm -hmm. has 
sexual relations with both. So this is nothing new. So who told this mutual, this friend of yours, who told her that your boyfriend is bi? Did he or did you? So I had a conversation with her because I had considered her to be a close friend and, you know, was talking about it with her and was really not expecting the reaction I got from her. And is it okay with your boyfriend if you tell your friends? I mean, you're, you have a right to your own experiences. You're dating a bi guy. Is it is it okay with him if you tell people that he's bi? You know, we hadn't had an explicit conversation about it. And looking back, I'm and again, like I'm new to this, trying to figure it out. I'm realizing I probably need to, you know, ask his permission before I, you know, talk to any friends about this or you know anything like that. He, when we've talked about it, hasn't seem to have an issue with people knowing. So I assumed it was okay. But but yeah, it's definitely a conversation that I think we need to have. Or get in a time machine and have before you tell your friend who had this shitty reaction that then it sounds like you kind of, you went into like full warrior ally mode at that moment in defense of your boyfriend, but also defense of queer people. And I know that myself as a gay person, that sometimes I feel uncomfortable when people leap to my defense instead of letting me choose my battles and when I'm going to come to my defense and remembering the moment and how it all unfolded, just me inferring from how you described it. It sounds like your boyfriend was a little uncomfortable with you going apeshit on your friend. I don't know that he was uncomfortable. He later, you know, the next day thanked me for standing up for him. And we had, you know, a conversation about it afterwards where he said he realizes that, you know, he's been dealing this for with this for a long time and this is new for me. And, mm-hmm. you know, any questions that I have, he wants to be able to, you know, deal with it together and figure it out together. Um, oh my God, I sound like I'm being yeah. so critical of you. You're like a wonderful straight woman. <laughs> you're dating a bi guy. You, you identify as being in a queer relationship, which a lot of, you know, straight cis women who date bi guys sometimes don't do. They don't perceive themselves as queer. Yeah. And here I am like picking apart you using the word committed <laughs> and like trying to get to the bottom of what went down that night. Um, but it is something that, you know, as a person who's dating a queer person and considers himself an ally to queer people and in a very real way, an ally that you sometimes want to be careful of that you're not fighting our battles for us, that you're, you know, side by side, you're in the trenches, but sometimes you have to like look to your queer partner and let them lead. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think because it's like so new and he and I hadn't encountered this before, you know, this is the first time that somebody's made these kind of shitty comments Mm -hmm. like in the moment. And that was just my initial reaction Um, and so now we're having those discussions that we hadn't had before. So let's talk about your friend and what to do about your friend. Yeah. How much of an investment of time and energy is this person worth? Because you can drill down or your boyfriend, although he's not friends with this person and maybe he doesn't want to expend the time or energy, but you could drill down with her about why her attitudes are bullshit and why she's obnoxious and that she wasn't just being biphobic. Oh my God, you left your bisexual boyfriend alone with a gay friend. Also, that's kind of homophobic. That assumes your gay friend would make a play for your bi boyfriend behind your back in a bar the minute you turned around. And maybe she was just like being drunk and thought she was being funny and shitty, but she was just being shitty. And Mm -hmm. if she, if you like her and you have a history with her, it might be worth it to circle back and be like, is this actual shitty of you? Or were you just like thinking you were being funny and shitty and taking the piss because you were, it was offensive. And if you actually believe these things, maybe we need to have a conversation 
But you need to decide before you even initiate that part of the conversation, whether it's worth it, worth the time and energy and effort. Yeah. And that's what I've been trying to figure out because, you know, she's the kind of friend where my friends and I had to convince her to vote and she has kind of (laughs) made comments where she's a little bit more on the conservative side, but I always try to be open-minded. And this, I think really showed her true colors. Mm. And I just, I I think, unfortunately, there were other things brewing between us, other issues, and this might have been the last straw. And I don't know that it's worth it. Um, It was, yeah, I don't think she was joking also. Doesn't sound like someone you want to inflict on your boyfriend. No. Like, given a choice between this guy that you've been dating for three months that you, that seems wonderful, and let's extend him the benefit of every doubt. He is wonderful and, like, a, a shitty friend. Although, if they're conservative, please don't work too hard to talk to conservatives into voting. <laughs> Maybe you guys could let that go. <laughs> but yeah, given a choice between these two people, run with the bye boyfriend. Yeah. It's unfortunate, but looking back, I'm like, oh, maybe this isn't all that surprising that she's had that reaction, which is, you know, you can't convince everybody of everything. That's what I'm learning. <laughs> you can't. And and you have to, you know, you have to husband your own emotional resources. Uh, although yeah. that's probably really uh, sexist, <laughs> that expression. I'm sure I'll get a couple of calls <laughs> about it. You have to marshal your resources, although that's very militaristic. So I'll probably get a call about that, too. Conserve no, your energies, and it doesn't sound like this person is yeah. worth the 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 energy that it, you would have to yeah. expend to to bring right. around. So fuck them. Yeah, no, that that was kind of my thought, and then my friend Josh, um, the guy who was at the bar with us, I was having a conversation with him, and apparently she had come up to him at the bar asking if he even thought that you know bisexuality was real, and this was the first time he had ever met her, so it was just a lot. You know, long ago, I didn't, I didn't believe in male bisexuality once upon a time. There's a whole chapter in American Savage about my kind of journey with bisexual maleness. Uh, and what brought me around was people like arguing with me about it, getting in my face about it. And me then like reading the research and, you know, I was a callow 26 year old gay guy when I started writing my column. And so I like to think I was worth it. The, the, that energy that people expended on me to bring me around but not everybody is. And it doesn't sound like this friend, yeah. former friend, conservative friend, asshole friend is worth the energy. Even, And I say that as someone yeah. who may be a, a guilty of similar asshole sins as this person. Right. All right. Listen, I got to run. It was great talking with you. Yeah, you too. Thank you so much. You know, dating is like the process of peeling, you know, peeling back those layers and getting to know someone. And, you know, it, yep. you don't want to date people who your first impression is black. But I hope he continues to reveal yeah. himself to you to be everything that so far you believe him to be. And good luck. I appreciate it. Thank you so much, Dan. Bye. Hey, Dan. I'm a cisgender straight woman living in eastern Kentucky, and I have a question about my partner's penis. When he was seven, and again when he was a teenager, he had to have several surgeries to repair a structural issue with his penis. The issue was repaired, and he's totally recovered. He easily gets and stays erect. But these surgeries left him with some scar tissue that pretty majorly decreased the sensitivity of the head and the typically sensitive part on the underside. The head is somewhat sensitive, but the rest of the shaft really isn't sensitive at all. Growing up, he learned to masturbate by gripping the head very tightly and jerking off very fast in order for him to just feel the sensation. I think the combination of the loss of sensation because of the surgeries and his lifelong habit of rough masturbation has led to some issues. 
He's a sweet, attentive, adventurous lover, and we have a lot of fun, sensual sex. But when we have penetrative sex and he reaches the point where he's ready to come, he tends to thrust really hard and very fast, just like he masturbates. And at that point, it just feels like he's using my vagina to jerk off. Sometimes, and if I'm really warmed up, this rough sex is enjoyable. But more often than not, it leaves me sore and numb. He's pretty well endowed, he's athletic and strong, and I have a somewhat narrow um, vaginal opening, all of which combine to make it a painful experience for me. And even when he goes really rough and fast, he often still struggles to come. His personality is incredibly sweet and gentle, and I think he kind of feels bad that he always has to be rough with me in order for him to come through penetration. So my question Are there some sex practices that we can employ together or just him by himself that can help him retrain those neural pathways? Are there ways to increase his his penis's sensitivity to touch? How can I help him in this process? We haven't been dating for very long, so I think now is the time to face this issue before it becomes the norm. I hope your boyfriend has discussed this problem, this sounds like nerve damage from these two corrective surgeries with a urologist and talked with a urologist about how it's interfering with sexual pleasure, his ability to climax from non rough and hard stimulation. It's possible that he never brought this up with a urologist that he's never sought medical intervention or advice about what he might be able to do to increase sensitivity. Also possible that he brought it up and his urologist shut him down. A lot of doctors aren't good at having conversations with patients about sexual pleasure and health and treat sexual pleasure if it's negatively impacted by a treatment or, or a surgery as not important compared to whatever benefits the antidepressants or the surgery might bring. And if that was what he encountered when he discussed this with a urologist or his urologist, he needs to discuss it with another urologist and maybe get a referral to a specialist who works on recovering sensation of sensation indeed after these surgeries can be recovered. As to the sex you're having now with this guy you've only recently started dating, if it's enjoyable for you when you're really turned on, those are the times that you should initiate or have with him penetrative sex. You shouldn't be enduring penetrative sex with him in the way that he needs penetrative sex to unfold just for his sake, just to get him off. So you need to use your words. You need to say to him, just like he needed to say to his urologist, I have this problem. You need to say to him, look, I have this problem. There's times when the PIV we have works for me And I know when those times are coming, I know when I'm good and ready to go and it'll work for me. And there are times when it doesn't work for me. And when it doesn't work for me, we can't do, isn't going to work for me. We can't do PIV because not only leaves me feeling sore, it also leaves me feeling emotionally, leaves me feeling used, leaves me feeling like a fleshlight. And if he's a decent, kind, nice guy, that's certainly not how he wants to make you feel. So at those times when you're not feeling it, when you know that PIV isn't going to work for you, don't have PIV, do other stuff. And I'm guessing that might be something of a relief to him. I wonder if he enjoys penetrative sex or if penetrative sex 
If that's the expectation for every sexual encounter, it's going to end with penetrative sex. If that's not a source of anxiety for him around his performance, around how long it's going to take him. And if he isn't, you know, and if he's not a selfish asshole, and I'm hoping he's not, if he isn't rushing at the end, not selfishly to get himself there, but rushing at the end with some sense of anxiety about putting you out of the misery that your dick or his dick is putting you into. So a conversation about really decentering penetrative sex might be welcome. It might actually be a relief for him to only have penetrative sex with you in the way that works for his dick when you are feeling it, when that works for you. And then sometimes maybe only to have penetrative sex with you gently in a way that gets you off. And then he withdraws after you've climaxed during PIV, if indeed you can, and you enjoy climaxing during PIV. And then he finishes himself off with his hand while you guys roll around or gets himself closer and closer with his hand and then climaxes inside you if that's important to you and important to him. But I'm guessing based on what you've told me and based on the assumptions I make often about straight couples who have only recently begun to have sex, you haven't had these kinds of conversations with him. And you may, if you risk having a really open, honest conversation with him about what's working and not working, you may find that he's not enjoying penetrative sex most of the time any more than you are. And giving him permission and yourself permission to take penetrative sex off the menu for that to be something in the mix, but not the thing that you guys do every time that you have sex will be a relief to you and your poor battered pussy. It'll be a relief to him and his anxiety around his performance and how long it takes him and what kind of stimulation he requires. And it'll improve your sex life and your enjoyment of him. Hi, Dan. I am a 37-year-old cisgender heterosexual female. I'm calling because I am trying to figure out what to do with the cum inside me after I have unprotected sex with my partner. You know, we're, we're monogamous. I enjoy having unprotected sex. It's a great time. But sometimes, you know, when it's finished, I gotta go. We got stuff to do. We gotta get up and at him. And, you know, I don't always have time to wait for the cum to just come out of my body. And then sometimes I, I get out quickly and I pull on my panties and I'm off enjoying my day. And then luck has it, you know, the cum seeps out at just the wrong time. Don't tell me to wear a pad. That's super annoying. There has to be another way to get rid of this. And I, I don't know if it's douching. And if it's douching, can we rebrand douching? You know, I still have it in my head from fifth grade health class that douching is bad for your vagina. So tell me what options there are, please. And, you know, what they're, you know, also I'd love to hear the butt options as well. Well, of course, I know what to do when it comes to anal and the situation. You go sit on the toilet and crap it out. But you're a woman in a hurry, a woman with a hot sticky load in her twat in a hurry. You might not have time to crap it out. You don't want to wear a pad. What can you do to prevent this problem that come leaking out of you later on when you're running around being a busy woman doing her thing? I'm tossing this one out there to the women, to the vagina havers in my audience who might have a tip for you that isn't wearing a pad, that isn't douching or splooshing, or if we gave it some other name, plungering or something that can get that semen out of you. I do have one recommendation. Why is the penis shaped like that? It's a terrific book by Jesse Baring. One of the reasons human male penises are shaped like that 
They have that big head, that ridge. The corona is to plunge out the semen of other males, the woman that they're having sex with, if they're the kind of penis-having male that has sex with other women, with women, to plunge it out, to suck it out, to create suction in the vaginal canal and remove the semen. Of course, the problem with that approach is that if you use another dick to plunge out your boyfriend's semen, then you're going to have some other man's semen in you and you are back where you started. So not a solution. Just wanted to share and plug Jesse Baring's terrific book, Why Is My Penis Shaped Like That? And then toss this one out there to the vagina havers and women, mostly vagina havers are women in my audience. What would you recommend? Okay, before we get to this week's listener response calls, let's read some listener tweets. Angus Edmund tweets, why so many calls from women who have proposed polyamory to their male partners who fervently said no until one day those same male partners turned around and said, oh, by the way, I met someone. I would like us to do poly now. That seems like a big red flag to me. All right. That could be a red flag, I suppose. It also, from another perspective, it could possibly be the yes the partner who originally proposed opening the relationship was waiting for. Sometimes one person suggests opening a relationship and the other person says no and then is inspired to change their mind down the road. Count Vaxula tweets, thanks at fake Dan Savage for the mental image of a pegging conga line. You are welcome, Count Vaxula. And finally, Robert Bruges tweets, as a guy with some hair on my ass, I occasionally get ingrown hair pimples, which make me self-conscious around my partner. I wash my ass, cheeks, and whole. How do I avoid getting pimples? Okay, ass pimples aren't something we've talked about recently on the podcast or at all. So this is more of a question than a comment, but I'll bite. To prevent those ass hair pimples, you got to prevent those ass hairs from getting under your skin and becoming those ass hair pimples. You got to shut down the ass hair to pimple pipeline. To do that, it's not enough to wash your ass. You got to scrub. You got to exfoliate. Get yourself a loofah and scrub that ass pink. All right. Thanks to everyone who posted to social media this week about the Savage Lovecast, to Instagram and Facebook and Twitter. We really appreciate all your posts. Help spread the word about the Lovecast. And now, listener response calls. Hi, Dan. I'm calling in response to episode 789 to the caller who wrote her former instructor on LinkedIn about a fictional anthropological project. Um, I'm in academia, and I believe she has other options than the ones you suggested, Dan. Depending on the exact wording the caller used in her message to the instructor, she can either say that she meant that she was exploring possibilities of pursuing such a project, or she can thank him for his help and then circle back in a few months and say that the project got dropped. But would he like to meet up for a coffee? Hi, Dan. This is in response to the caller who reached out to a former professor. I want to say I'm a college professor and I follow and connect with former students on professional social media because I want to see how they're doing in life. It's really rewarding to see them out in the world being successful. Also, I want to point out that even if someone is no longer a student, personal relationships should be taken with caution because former professors serve as references for jobs and write recommendation letters. So there could still be a power differential there. Finally, I feel really bad for this guy. He was so excited 
a former student was interested in his specific area of research and requested his involvement. Professors spend so much time working in our niche fields, often wondering if anyone cares about the differences we're trying to make in the world. Honestly, I would be heartbroken if someone pretended to want to collaborate with me on my research as a front for when he does sex with me. Hey, response call for the woman who made up the big project to get her old instructor's attention. You are so charming. When I heard that call, I thought you just seemed really funny and lighthearted. So I agree, you should definitely just come clean and just keep that personality going. I think that if you can make jokes about it, uh, that will make it seem a lot less creepy. And at the end of the day, I honestly think that the difference between something being creepy and something being a cute little flirty twist is just how the other person feels about you. So I think that if he is into you, and you send that message where you just kind of make fun of yourself and come clean about it, he is gonna find that so cute and charming and it could be a great start to something. And we're gonna leave it there. Got a question for next week's show or a comment about the crappy advice I gave on this week's show? The best way to get us your questions or your comments or your compliments is to use the voice memo app on your phone and then email us your question or your comment or both to voicemail at savagelovecast.com. You can also call us old school style at 206-302-2064. The opening Festival of Hump 2022 is right around the corner. Screenings begin late January and run to early March in Seattle, Portland, San Francisco, and Olympia. I will be hosting many of those opening weekend screenings and attendees in Seattle, Portland, San Francisco, and Olympia for the kickoff of the Hump 2022 Film Festival. Get to vote for festival winners. So yeah, democracy, not dead yet, at least at Hump. Go to humpfilmfest.com right now to get your tickets. Follow me on Twitter at FakeDanSavage. Follow Erica Moen on Twitter at Erica Moen. That's E-R-I-K-A-M-O-E-N. The Savage Lovecast is produced every week by Nancy Hartunian and me and the tech savvy at Risk Youth and Nancy. We'll all be back at you next week with an installment of the Savage Lovecast. Thank you for downloading.